May it please the court. Counsel, my name is Deborah Eklund and I represent Amanda Restorf. We're here to ask this court to rule as a matter of law that the Minnesota Maltreatment of Minors Act is not an act of strict liability, but rather it requires the finding of an omission or commission of one of the types of neglect that are listed. In this case, it's subdivision three, the failure to provide for necessary supervision. It's our position that DHS has misinterpreted and misapplied that provision. As a result, we ask that the maltreatment by neglect determination against Ms. Restorf be reversed and remanded to the agency for a change in its determination consistent with your decision. Counsel, before you, you get going here, I just wanna confirm that, um, ooh, I don't, I'm getting some weird feedback, sorry about that. Um, it doesn't appear from your briefs uh, to our court that you're challenging the licensing sanctions. And I just wanted to get your position on the record there about that. And by licensing sanctions, I mean the fine and the conditions on your client's license. Are those at issue in this case or not? Yes and no. And that's actually what I was gonna talk about next. Um, in this case, uh, December 2016, there was an order of conditional license handed down to Ms. Restorf. It was based on the alleged violation of the licensing supervision rule. Uh, it's a two-year conditional license, and it is not in dispute in this matter. And I want to talk Counsel, a little bit. Counsel, does it become, is it part of the dispute is that it, it appears from the record that what happened is that the, the licensing statute, which is separate and distinct from the Maltreatment of Minors Reporting Act, that there was almost an imputation of the supervision provision in the licensing statute into the Minnesota of Minors Reporting Act. Am I, am I reading your brief correctly? That is correct. That's one way to look at it. What they're saying is that the violation of the licensing rule equals neglect under the maltreatment statute. And in fact, it appears that they're relying on the language in the licensing rule rather than the statute. And the licensing rule language does not appear in the statute. Right. So what I wanted to let you know is, Ms. Restorf is not here to avoid the consequences of what happened on August 1st, 2016. She was given a two-year conditional license. As part of that conditional license, she had to revise the supervision safety plan she already had in place to heighten her supervision requirements. She had to go to more, they're kind of like CLE, or training courses on supervision over and above what she normally had to do. She had to buy and install a fence, even though that had never been a requirement of her licensing before. Does the record tell us if there had ever been any previous maltreatment determinations? Against Ms. Restor? Yes. Zero. Does the record tell us if there had been any correctional correction orders in regard to, regards to her facility license? There may have been one or two early on that had to do with things like wipes being left within reach of children and things like that, but nothing that had to do with supervision or kids wandering away. Correction orders are for those kinds of things. You know, when they come for their inspection, they may see something that's left down or a, you know, an electric cord that's not plugged in or things like that. There may have been a couple of those early on, but nothing significant or nothing having to do with supervision. Well, the conditional license is not at issue, but the fine is? Well, the reason the fine is, we actually talked about this a minute ago, the reason the fine is is only because it's tied to the maltreatment determination. I mean, she doesn't care. She'll pay the fine, except that it's tied to this determination that's wrong. And so, yeah, kind of sort of the fine is at issue, uh, but the conditional license is not. And let, and let me just say, that what the conditional license did here is address and give the remedies for the alleged violation of the supervision rule. And that's what's supposed to happen. Everything that was put in place with this conditional license is for this purpose of, of safeguarding these kids even more than they already were. On the other hand, this maltreatment by neglect determination, it accomplishes nothing. 
Nothing. It serves no purpose in this case. So, if we go then to the Maltreatment of Minors Act, let's just talk about what this statute is. You've got, I practically copied the whole thing into our brief at one point, but if you have a physical copy of the statute, the name of the statute is the Reporting of Maltreatment of Minors. It begins with a preamble that talks about how parents try to do the best they can for their kids, but sometimes they're just not able to. The act then goes on and talks about how its purpose is to prevent and address the most heinous forms of child abuse, physical abuse, neglect, sexual abuse, mental abuse. I mean, we're talking about things that are practically crimes, and some of them are crimes, that are Counsel, I think that's, a, that, that's going a little too far. The Maltreatment of Minors Reporting Act certainly is to um, address the safety issues for children, but it is not just for the most egregious near our crimes that would be uh, meet the level of criminal charging. There no, are many not, cases that don't go that far. I agree. No, I agree. But at the very beginning of the act, it says it is intended to prevent the abuse of children, including physical abuse, neglect, child abuse, and, and mental abuse. So in each of those instances, it is abuse, whether it's criminal or not. So when you consider that that is the backdrop in which a maltreatment by neglect determination is being made, then you look to the neglect portion of that statute, and it clearly says it is a, the omission or commission of any of the nine things that are listed as examples or types of neglect. In this case, well, if I can take a step back real quick. In August when this happened and the temporary immediate suspension came out, the document says you were found guilty of maltreatment by neglect because the child was found two and a half blocks from the residence along the highway with semis honking. Not a single thing about any omission or commission that resulted in the neglect or even any provision with respect to which part of the neglect statute is being cited. The report that came down from Child Protection you were found guilty of maltreatment by neglect because the child was found 0.3 miles from your home unattended on the side of the highway with semis honking. Not one provision from the Maltreatment of Minors Act in terms of what neglect provision are we talking about? What was the act or omission that constituted that neglect? And if you read the hearing record, Chris Carlson was their investigator who came to the hearing. And I just started at the beginning with the very first document that was issued in this case. And I went through, and it's like, what did Ms. Restorff do? What did Ms. Restorff not do? Every single document, document after document, she was unable to tell me what it was that Ms. Restorff did or did not do that constituted neglect under Council, the Council, what were you looking for? Were you looking for then a site to uh, subdivision G3? Subdivision 2G3, is that, you were looking for that specific citation? Is that what you think your client had to have? Any citation. Any citation. Even up until December. When did you first see a citation to that, to that, to that provision? Even up until December of 2016, when they issued the order lifting the temporary immediate suspension and the order for fine and the order for conditional license, it's record exhibit six point small, small o. Even there, they only cite to the maltreatment statute 626556 without any Did you ever request a specific citation or? Ma'am? Did you ever make a request for a specific citation to the statute? We prepared a hearing memorandum. We pointed out the fact that nothing had ever been uh, indicated in terms of what it was about this act that had been uh, violated, and we never, they never, they, they never told us until after the hearing that it was this provision three, failure to provide for necessary supervision. So, and you think they needed to tell you that just even though the child was found two and a half blocks away with trucks whizzing by, you needed to be told that that was a lack or that the concern was a lack of supervision? 
Ma'am, um, if you look at the different um, provisions that could be violated under neglect, there are several that could, could apply. There's one talking about keeping kids safe and protected when reasonably able to do so. There's ones about, I mean, there, there are different ones. And so we went into this hearing not knowing what it was, only that up until that time, the only reason for the maltreatment determination had been based on where the child was found. Council, I'm having trouble figuring out the relevance of this, this issue that you raised. If you lack information going into the hearing, did you make any kind of motion for a more definite statement or to get some specificity as to what the department was charging? I mean, do you feel like you were ambushed? And if so, why, why did you get ambushed? Your Honor, in the administrative law arena, um, there really aren't opportunities to make those kind of motions. And no, sir, we didn't make any kind of motion like that because we went into the hearing expecting to be able to prove that the neglect provisions didn't apply regardless because the entire decision had been based on where the child was and not on anything she had done or not done. Well, is there, is there an issue before us as a violation of procedural due process? No, that, sir. Uh, that you didn't, you didn't get proper notice, your client didn't get proper notice as to what was being charged? That issue is not before you. Okay, so. The point of bringing it up is by their own documents, they never articulated themselves what it was that constituted maltreatment by neglect on my client's part. That is the point. And Do they get a second shot at that? So they, they kind of proved up whatever case they had, mm -hmm. uh, you know, which, you know, I tend to agree with you that they didn't necessarily pre present any facts. What is our job now? Is it to just look at the record that the state presented in the initial proceeding and move on from there? Or do we send it back to them to give them a second shot at um, making a finding some other facts that would, would support the finding of maltreatment? With all due respect, I don't think there are any other facts to be found. Um, in, any questions that- So can I just follow up on that? So when they approve the license, do they come out and do an inspection and see that there's no fence around the house? Yes, sir. So they knew that? Every year for seven years. And they also knew that there were gonna be young kids there without a fence? Yes, sir. And um, what about the issue of the supervision of the 13-year-old niece? Uh, or the, the fact that it was a 13-year-old, uh, the 13-year-old niece was the one that was outside with the, with the children. Is that part of any, I guess that one of my questions is what is this plan that we're talking about? Is that in writing? Is that, how does that work? So uh, it is a written plan that they're required, when, when they originally apply for their license, they have to have a written plan for safety and supervision. And Ms. Restorf had that. And when, so, but they never looked at her plan because they didn't read the statute that way. They never, they, they took the word for out and they only looked at the supervision that was actually provided. So, so your she, argument is that in the proceedings here, the state never actually looked at the plan that Ms. Restorf had in place and so they couldn't base a judgment on that plan. That's correct. And so you asked me first though, what it is that, that, that needs to happen here. Interpretation and application of three or G3, subdivision 2G3, has never been addressed by this court. As a matter of fact, it's never been addressed by the Court of Appeals in a published decision. So what we have over here in, in Mayflower, a situation where you had an issue of inappropriate touching by a child. But based on that, they put heightened supervision into place. They were extra vigilant. But guess what? Inappropriate touching happened again. Uh, DHS came in and said, maltreatment by neglect. When the investigator was asked specifically, what is it that they did or did not do that caused this second touching to occur, the investigator said, well, they must not have been supervising well enough or else the second touching would not have occurred. That is exactly what the logic that has been applied here. Chris Carlson, again, the investigator, who I, I questioned 
I tried so hard to get her to tell me what is it Ms. Restorf did or did not do, and she said, well, the supervision must not have been sufficient or the child wouldn't have wandered away. So Counsel. that's step one that I'm asked that this court needs to address. Did you, did you want to finish something else? Because I wanted to talk about the facts in the, in the case. Is there a step two you want to address? Actually, one more step. Okay, I'll, I'll wait so, for that and then I'll ask you this factual question. So number one, it's not strict liability. There has to be a uh, commissioner omission that amounts to the failure to provide for supervision. Secondly, Counsel, I, that's not true because we, even when you go into the CHIPS statute, the child protection statute, you, there are findings where parents are unwilling or unable. It, it does not have to, you do not have to have an omission or a commission. The purpose of the act is to ensure that children are safe. There are parents who have, who don't have ability to keep their children safe due to mental health, chemical dependency, but there does not, you don't have to link the behavior to some purposeful act. I think, Honor, I think you're taking it a step too far. With all due respect, I'm reading from MnSTAT 626.556, subdivision 2G, neglect means the commission or omission of any of the acts specified under clauses one to nine other than by accidental means. There does have to be a commission or omission. That's, that, that's what the statute says. So it, it can't just be, he was found away from the home, therefore you must not have supervised. Well, counsel, why can't it be he was found away from the home and there were 12 little kids outside and only a 12-year-old watching them? I mean, why isn't that an omission okay. that constitutes neglect? Okay, so first of all, how the supervision is working isn't what the, the provision provides, and that's part of what we, we are asking y'all to address. Providing for necessary supervision refers to a plan or forethought or how it's gonna happen versus providing necessary supervision, how you're actually doing it. So I wanna make sure we're talking about the plan of supervision, not how the supervision was actually happening. Counsel, happened. what's your but, basis for that though? I, that um, that just strikes me as a strained reading of, of that language. Okay, can I finish answering her question and then I'll answer your question? Let's Always pretend answer it's the August chief first, first. <laughs> ma'am. It's August 1st, 2016. It's 8.40 in the morning. Ms. Restorf is finishing putting the breakfast cereal bowls on the tray. The 12 kids go outside with the helper, who's 13 I think, um, who's been certified by the county and trained. Snapshot. Everything that is in place at that moment meets all licensing rules and meets Ms. Restorff's plan for supervision. You know, the concept that, well, you just had a 12-year-old watching 12 kids. The fact is, Ms. Restorf herself can watch 12 kids by herself and being by herself and be in compliance with all licensing rules. Having the helper is just even more eyes and ears watching the kids. There is nothing in violation of licensing rules, adult to children ratios, anything by, by the table that was set that morning. It was perfectly appropriate, and, and they've never indicated otherwise. Now, to get back to the four question. You know, I won't get into all the uh, 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 canons of statutory interpretation and all those things, but I do think we'll all agree that when the legislature passes a law, it means for the words in the law to have meaning, okay? And so what this provision says is, Failure to provide for necessary supervision. It doesn't say failure to provide necessary supervision. That for has to have some meaning. And the example that I've come up with is, okay, so I'm gonna go out on date night with my husband. So I hire the neighbor kid to come over and watch my kids. I have provided for necessary supervision of my kids. But then 
it's like, ah, forget it. There's no good movies out. I'm not going to go on date night. I'm just going to stay home and I'm going to watch my kids myself. Then I am providing necessary supervision. Let's, let's test that theory. So let's say that um, you're going to go out on date night and you hire your neighbor who is a sex offender, level three sex offender. You have that person coming over. You have provided for, you have supervision of your children. Does that fall within the statute? No, ma'am, because the statute requires that it be necessary and appropriate. And I would suggest to you that if I knew my neighbor kid was a, a sex offender and registered, um, then I don't believe anybody would think that, that was appropriate. Council, let, let me ask you this. It, for me, this, in, in some ways, this case comes down to this, and I'm just curious your response to it. At least for me, it comes down to this. What I think the county was simply saying is under this statute, there was neglect here because irrespective of the fact uh, in your answer to the chief's question that at that moment when you froze the picture, that everything was in compliance with, um, with the licensing rules, your client or a client in this instance still has an obligation to adapt the supervision to whatever the particular needs are. And so in this instance, possibly the obligation was, I've got a 13-year-old out there watching 12 kids, and instead of her pushing a couple of them on the swing set, because I'm not out there, the licensee, because I'm not out there, and instead I'm making breakfast inside, I might need to do something different. Maybe I circle the kids, I put the kids in a circle, and we play a circle game so that I can keep count of all 12 of them because that's what's required now under this particular circumstance even though everything else is is in compliance with the rules and if i don't adapt my the situation to what's called for then i haven't provided the necessary supervision to keep a child safe to me that's what this case comes down to and what i would say your honor is that um, for seven years for seven years, this is how she supervised the kids. For seven years. And that may be true. I, I grant you that. But sometimes, as we all know, we may be speeding for 10 years in a row. We get caught on, you know, on the 11th year. It doesn't mean we weren't, that what we were doing was safe before. It's just we got, and I don't mean that negatively. I don't mean it in that sense to you or your client. I'm simply saying I'm not sure what the relevance of that is, although I applaud your client for that kind of safety record. But, um, well, but that's what the it doesn't make this well. action less negligent, if you will. But that's what the court in Mayflower said. You can't look back with hindsight. You can't look back with 2020 vision. Well, that's why I'm saying it's not hindsight, it seems to me, to say you had a situation here. You have to adapt your supervision to your particular situation. That's not hindsight. That's saying, and I'm just using this as an example, you put the kids in a circle so you can better keep track of them given that your licensee is inside and you're swinging instead of swinging one kid on the swing and so and what you're saying is basically the the plan for necessary supervision could have been better council can i get to my factual yes, question now i've been very patient um one of the factors in the statute is uh length of absence and what puzzles me here is I don't really see a finding by the commissioner about how long uh, Miss, um, I'm sorry, Retz, Retzlaff? Restorf. Restorf was inside the kitchen. And to me, that makes all the difference in the world because um, if she's in there for two minutes, um, I think that the plan to provide necessary supervision was probably met. Um, and let me let me point something out real quick. On this um, little summary that was posted on your website, it says at the top that um, wandered from the yard for approximately a half hour before being found by the police. That is incorrect. He went outside at 8.40. That was a fact adopted by the commissioner. And the police report indicates he was found at 8.47. Well, just to, so, just to be clear, I think what Justice Tucci is asking is, was there any finding by the state in this? I, we're running out of time, so. Oh, I'm sorry, 18 seconds. Um, but just so you know, he, 
it, he was gone seven minutes before he was found. Length of time. Uh, no, they did not find a length of time uh, because they didn't analyze the statute that way. They didn't analyze the statute as dealing with a plan for supervision. Um, I know my time is up and I will Council, sit down. Council, hold on, Justice Slohawk oh. has a question. Council, is it your position that under 2G3, as long as there's a plan in, the, in place, a single instance of neglect is not enough to violate the, stat, the, the rule? I would say it exactly that way, except I wouldn't say a single instance of neglect. It's a single instance of not doing something. A single instance Sing, of a the, single the omission. plan failing is not sufficient for neglect. Okay, so to take this hypothetical, uh, you've got a daycare provider who's got three kids, has, has an impeccable plan for taking care of them. And then just one day, the daycare provider decides, I'm tired of this and goes and takes a nap for four hours and a kid gets, turns on the stove and is egregiously injured. Would that violate 2G3? I think when she went to take that nap, she had no plan for the necessary supervision of her children in place. So that would violate the rule? Yes, okay. yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. You have 10 minutes for rebuttal. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Wolf. Thank you. May it please the court, opposing counsel. My name is Karen Wolf. I'm an assistant Wright County attorney representing the commissioner of the Department of Human Services in this case. I think a lot of the things that I were gonna talk about have already been discussed by the court, so I certainly encourage your questions, but I just want to note that the primary argument here is the application of the Maltreatment of Minors Act to this situation. Counsel, is the mere fact that this child was found where the child was found in an obviously dangerous situation, um, is, that, is that enough uh, for the state to establish maltreatment? No, and that was uh, one of my arguments in, in, at the lower court was um, that the allegations in this case don't uh, allege any sort of superhuman feat. There isn't an unlocked door that the child unlocked, there isn't a scaling of a fence, something that would not be expected of a child. I think this case is different because it is expected of a three-year-old child to wander away. There's nothing in their development that indicates that. So, but, that, but that's my question. So your, your position is because it's a three-year-old child uh, that has wandered away and is in a dangerous situation, it's a statutory violation. Not just because of that, no. It would be because of how he got to that point and what, what supervision was provided for prior to that point to cause that to happen or to prevent that from happening. So, so my question then becomes, given the absence of uh, any findings by um, anybody here, the commissioner or the advisory findings by the administrative law judge relating to timing, can we just simply conclude the state failed to prove its case uh, and reverse the maltreatment finding here? And I would say no. Um, I think it was the, the record provides testimony regarding what happened. The commissioner does make findings regarding times. They, although there isn't a specific finding regarding the time that the provider herself was inside, I think there are findings about what the supervision plan was, how things occurred on that day, what she did when she discovered the app. I, I don't think the plan helps you very much because uh, that plan's been approved. Um, I think the question is whether or not there were some actions taken by the uh, provider that endangered, created the circumstances for maltreatment here. And the concern that I have is, I think it's the burden on the state to prove um, logically exactly what happened here that created that. And I look at this record and I, I don't have any findings from anybody that says um, that she was away for X number of minutes and that created the risk. What I do have are findings that say the child was at risk. I don't think that's enough. Tell me why I'm wrong. I would argue that the facts show that the daycare provider was inside at the time that the child left the premises. When she went outside, she called the children up to the deck and he was not present at that time. And so he left at the time that she was inside of the residence. 
Um, additionally, in, to the premise of the question of the approval of the plan, I would say that the plan was not approved. I don't know that there's anything in the record indicating any sort of written plan that was approved. I think there are generalized guidelines that a person makes when they uh, apply for a daycare license saying what they're going to do that they're well, for example There's no requirement for a fence here and the county's not uh, and there's been no indication that the county um, Demanded that and that it wasn't constructed am I correct about that correct? Absolutely council is is there any difference? Um, in application of the Minnesota minor the minors act um, in its application to a daycare provider versus a parent Yes, certainly, and I think that's where the question comes in that was discussed earlier about the supervision rule. I think that's part of the consideration under the statute. There's a number of factors that need to be taken into account, such as the, the location of the child, the age of the child, the environment, the everything that surrounds it. So I think my question is, is, there a, is, do, is it the state's position that there is a stricter application applied to daycare providers? I would say yes, because part and where, of it, where does it say that in 626? And I would say that the, uh, the factors that are outlined, which talk about the uh, physical condition, the environment of the child, that the environment here is at a daycare provider's home. And so that's what incorporates the supervision rules of the uh, daycare licensing rules. But it doesn't change what you have to have as far as evidence to make the maltreatment determination. I mean, my point is that if this were a parent, if this were coming in as a report on a parent, this would not make it past screening. And, or if it did, it would involve a conversation at best family assessment, which doesn't result in a maltreatment determination. So where is the legal authority to, um, to put a greater emphasis when it's a daycare provider. That's what I'm asking for. Like where in the act, I know that you have different subdivisions that apply, but where does it say that it's, it is more strictly applied to a daycare facility? Well, and I think that it, it's not directly in the neglect statute. However, it is in the accidental definition. Uh, under the definition of accidental, it has two different subdivisions that can be applied. It's not likely to occur, and the second is if occurring while a child is receiving services from a facility, that it happens when the facility and the employee or person providing but, but services. But doesn't that actually prove the point that, for in terms of neglect, that in it, that the statute includes parents and daycare providers equally, and then they have to define separate standards for accident because it includes them both equally? I mean, doesn't that actually? prove Justice McCaig's or the question she was asking, the opposite of what you're arguing for? And I guess I was not looking at the, or I was looking at the overall application of the act, including those exceptions for accidental. Um, and the accidental portion is actually what provides the higher scrutiny for daycare providers. But that's In only if you get to, to accidental. So, but not when you're interpreting subdivision G3. Well, and I, I would argue that it, it is it does come into effect with the environment of the daycare, and I, I realize you disagree with me, but that's what I would interpret that to be one of the factors of environment, because certainly an environment of a daycare home where there's 11 other children at the home that need to be supervised is very different than what that same child likely has at home. Council, can, can you prevail if, if we conclude that you can't use the definition of supervision in the rule so that's out. So we're just looking at the language of the statute. Okay. What's the best argument for the commissioner's position? Your, Your Honor, I would argue that certainly the factors that are to be considered, the child's age, mental ability, that sort of thing. I think there's been a lot of argument about the supervision plan failing. My argument is that the supervision plan never failed. It did exactly what it was reasonably able to do. Um, it's not reasonably able to prevent a child from silently wandering from the property. But it's that reason sufficient. That reasonably able is not the language from the neglect part that that the state cited, right? I mean, that's a different provision. I'm sorry, I'm not understanding but, what you're asking. Um, that reasonably able, I think, steps reasonably reasonably able to do so comes from subdivision. Um, G2. And I guess uh, reasonably able to prevent that from happening, is that what you're asking? Or, and, and I think it's, 
Okay, going back to the maltreatment of minors neglect statute, it says failure to provide for necessary supervision. And I would say that the plan that was in place did not provide necessary supervision because it's necessary to prevent that foreseeable act of a three-year-old wandering from an open property. Council, let me figure it. Let's assume the plan is for Ms. Resdorf, when I'm in the house for brief periods of time, the kids will be in the backyard to be supervised by the 13-year-old niece. Is that a fair description of the plan? Uh, yes, yes, I would say that that is what the right. plan was. And why, why does that plan regarding brief periods of time constitute failure to provide for necessary supervision? Is it because it's a 13-year-old? Is it because there are too many kids? Uh, is it because it's an unfenced yard? Is it some combination of those three factors? All of uh, the above, all of the above. And I think those are all things that the, the act tells us to take into account when determining whether a supervision plan is sufficient or not. When you say all of the above, you mean the in combination? Correct. Mm -hmm. And counsel, is that what you're relying on in the record um, to, to reach the level of substantial evidence to support the result yes. and the findings? Yes. And I think it is the combination. And that's why I think there was discussion about a written plan that's been approved. I don't think that's a possibility because as was pointed out earlier, circumstances change depending on what's going on, how many kids are there, that sort of thing. So as I hear your answer, counsel, uh, what we heard from appellant was that the state's position here, the county's position is this was a strict liability offense. We're gonna reason backward from the fact that this occurred and so therefore it's a violation. No, absolutely not. I'm arguing that it's not strict liability and it's because there's those factors you need to take into account and the uh, provision for accidental so you that could necessarily have come, makes it not strict liability. So you could have come and done an inspection and assume someone hadn't wandered off, but just observe the situation and the county could have come in and say, you have maltreated and neglected your your children, the children in your care. I think they could say that the supervision plan was not appropriate. And would that then result in a, in a conclusion that, that, that Ms. Restorf, say someone hadn't wandered off, that she neglected her children? I think that's a good question. Um, I think that's it's the a no. question. <laughs> I mean, that's, that goes back to, to exactly the point that Justice Thiessen is making, and I'm sorry that I'm like. No, that's okay. This is an area of interest, obviously. But um, it, it just seems to me that, given big picture, that this is a heavy, little bit heavy-handed. This is, correct me if I'm wrong, this provider doesn't have any history of, of other maltreatment determinations. Correct. And were there any other um, licensing violations that would have gone to uh, significant safety issues regarding children in the past? No. So then why not just go with the correction order, the fine, and leave it at that? Because the maltreatment determination has long-term impact. Whereas if this was apparent, I think we can both agree that there would not have been a maltreatment determination. So I'm struggling with why we're going to impute that, which seems to be much more heavy handed on a daycare provider who doesn't have history. I would see a different argument if there was history there, but you're telling me there's nothing in the record. Right. Um, and I don't know if that's the exact question. I think the question is whether the statute applies to the situation. They could certainly could have, in their discretion, made the decision to go that route. However, that's not the route that they went. And so we're here to see if that situation does qualify. A being in your sentence, the county. Correct, correct. Council, let's change, you, you described what was wrong with the plan. It was a combination of things. Now let's break it down. Let's say instead of a 13-year-old, there'd been a 25-year-old who was experienced in daycare. Would that, kind of, would that plan then constitute neglect even though there are 12 kids with no fence? I think it definitely changes the analysis, um, certainly because at that 25-year-old could have been a licensed provider and could have been doing that. Um, I think then we would have to look further into what exactly they were doing, like was what was mentioned earlier, whether we circled the children up or just let them run, or we'd have to look farther into that circumstance to determine how that wandering had occurred. Does it matter that this backyard was huge? I mean, I, I thought I saw something in the record that it's like, was it three acres or? It's, it is quite large for, a, for that area, certainly. And I think it does matter because 
the statute tells us that we have to consider the environment. Yeah, but to me, in some ways, I, I would expect it to be, I agree that three-year-olds wander off. I'd expect it to be a little more reasonable that somebody would leave like a, a quarter acre yard easier than a three acre yard. Well, and, and I think that's part of the analysis is that certainly this child wandered from a large yard I think is even more evidence that he was not being supervised at the time because there's a lot greater distance to go where he left from and what they were doing at the time. I don't know, there isn't anything in the record and the uh, provider didn't provide anything to the record as to what the children were doing or where they were located in the yard. How is a child care provider to know that supervising 12 kids with a having a 13 year old watching 12 kids is neglect? And I think that goes back to their supervision training. They, they're trained professionals. And does the training cover that issue? I don't know that it would cover that specific issue, but it certainly does. And that's cover not in the record at all. Right. Right. So, but you're saying that that they're somehow their training would tell them that having 12 kids in the yard with a 13-year-old who has been certified by the county uh, is is neglect is neglect as opposed to just a licensing violation. I mean, I just am wondering about the giving people kind of this fairness, giving people notice of what is right. expected of them. Right, and I think it certainly obviously was a violation of the supervision rule and they would know that it's a violation of the supervision rule. Um, they would know that's a violation of the supervision rule? Yes, I believe so. And how is that? Because there would be no way to, to bar a child from leaving the yard if you're just using your ears or happen to catch them with your sight. Um, I think it is reasonably foreseeable that a three-year-old would wander from a property with only one young. Council, I, I want to just get to the remedy. I mean, if if you assume that that we disagree with the department that we can import the definition of supervision from the rule, so that's out. Um, and there's a debate in the record about how long Ms. Restorf was away from the children, how long she was inside. Um, while they were outside. So there's a factual, there's a debate about that in the record. Mm -hmm. So what do we do then? Do we remand for a do-over in front of the agency? Do we reverse outright and, and the case is over? I mean, what's your position about that? So we're assuming there were errors of law made here in terms of importing the, the administrative rule definition into the statute. So what do we do then? What's the remedy? Well, and I think you can make the determination without importing that rule. I think you can look at the Maltreatment of Minors Act alone um, to make that determination. And I don't know that... So you would still prevail then? What's that? You would say you would still prevail because even as properly defined, um, there's substantial evidence in the record to support the determination of neglect. Correct. And I would allege that it doesn't meet the de definition of an accident because... Um, that they were not following the rules of the facility. So I guess that in a roundabout way imports those rules. But I think the rule Doesn't that itself, necessarily lead you to the conclusion that every time a parent is in target with a child and the child runs away, the parent has committed neglect? And that's certainly a question. And I, and I, that, that's ridiculous. I mean, that can't be the department's position. Right. I, I don't think. And right. And I think the environment and the factors are different in those circumstances. And so it, it's, I think it really depends factually each circumstance as to how that's applied. Doesn't that mean then, I mean, you're right, I agree with you. And we can't tell here how long Ms. Restorf was inside relative to when this child wandered away. And isn't that the critical fact? And so what do we do about that? And, and I would argue that that's not the critical fact, that whether Ms. Restorf was present outside or not is not the, the entire basis for the supervision plan. I think we have to take into account what that plan is and how she was enacting that plan. You're saying that had she been outside, and so there'd been two people watching, that you could have found maltreatment here? I think if you have circumstances uh, where, say, the provider is busy with two children and the helper is busy with two other children, and so therefore you have eight children wandering around, um, that certainly can be taken into account. Well, let's well, change aren't, the, aren't we right back to 
given the chief's question, what we just discussed, aren't we right back to sort of Ipsy Dixit reasoning? I mean, the the thing is the thing what it is, and here it is. This child was found, so therefore there must be a supervision failure. It's strict liability. I mean, isn't that ultimately where we come down? No, I don't believe so because there are factors that if there are circumstances where a child could have been found in the same place and it not be a maltreatment, such as scaling a fence or unlocking a door, something you wouldn't expect a three-year-old. But then, counsel, why allow under the licensing rules that many children? I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense because I think the chief's right that if we take if we take the department's position, any parent who loses their kid in Target could be found um, to have maltreated their child. So it seems like it's just going too far. I mean, if, if you're gonna have licensing rules that says, because she wasn't in violation of the number of children, right? Correct. And she, in fact, didn't even have to have a second person there according to her license. Correct. However, she did testify that typically when she didn't have a helper, she kept the children under five on the deck to safeguard. She felt that it was an extra safeguard. I would say no, that's part of her supervision plan and was a necessary part of that supervision plan to prevent that child from wandering away. So the record doesn't tell us how long the kids were out there, but let's, let's change the facts and assume that um, the daycare provider needed to go to the bathroom and take three minutes to go to the bathroom. Would it constitute neglect for her to put the kids out in the backyard with the 13-year-old to go to the bathroom for three minutes? I think it depends on what that 13-year-old is doing with those children and how that 13-year-old is supervising. So it's not just the fact of the 13-year-old, it's what the 13-year-old is doing. So Correct. it's the lack of offense. Um, it's a 13-year-old. There are 12 kids and the 13-year-old is doing the swinging. It, we're getting down to that, that fine a distinction. And that's where, where it's difficult to be able to come up with a written plan as to what you're gonna do because certain circumstances change all the time. And so it really depends. You're going so to how is this just not totally arbitrary and capricious then? If it's just in the eyes of the state to say, in this circumstance where the 13 year old was pushing on the swing instead of putting them in a circle and playing a game together, we're gonna find neglect but if they were in a circle, we're not gonna find neglect. And how, I mean, how is any provider supposed to know what the rules are? Well, and that's why I kinda wanna bring back to this situation. I think there's so many hypotheticals that we could do, and it really depends on what those circumstances are. But I think in this situation, it was fairly clear that uh, a three-year-old wandering from a property is fairly foreseeable. So counsel, it sounds like you come back to, I think, what I the the, uh, the proposition I propose, which is, you look at the individual circumstances, you exercise some common sense, and you say, hmm, maybe this is not a good idea to have a 13-year-old watching 12 kids. Maybe what I need to do, and I, I'm just going back to, it, is put them in a circle so that I can, or some other mechanism, whatever it is, because it's it depends on the circumstances. That doesn't seem arbitrary to me. Right, and that's what I'm saying is that the, the statute tells us we need to analyze all these factor, factors and therefore DHS has to analyze all those factors. Council, can I ask one other question about the importation, if you will, of the rules? I understand your argument to me that to be that you, the county still prevails whether the rules are imported or not. But it, and help me with the record, because it did strike me as unusual, at least from what I can see, is that both parties import the rules throughout the record. So for instance, there's discussion in um, your opposing counsel's brief uh, when she's talking about, well, but the rules allowed um, or encouraged the children to be outside playing when it's warm out and things like that. And the rules allowed uh, her, the Ms. Restorf to have 12 kids. So, and then you also use the rules, obviously, for the supervi def definition of supervision. So it seemed to me both parties assumed that the rules were properly imported because it's rules about licensing daycare facilities and this was a licensed daycare facility. Right. Am, am I correct about that in terms of how both parties were using the rule um, or the rules? Yeah, and I think there was some dispute about uh, how to use those rules. I think both sides agree that the rules come into play. I think the opposing counsel indicated that 
the violation of the supervision rule does not equate to a maltreatment determination, which I would agree with. Case and it's not a part of the statute. I think we all agree. So, and, and I would agree with that, but I'm saying in the- Well, but to be clear, the government placed great reliance on the definition of supervision in the administrative rule. I mean, the, that was a big part, if not the whole, the whole part of the government's case, that Ms. Restorf didn't have eyes and ears on these kids for however long it was, and that's enough. That's game, set, match. It's not necessary supervision. And I guess I would disagree with that analysis. I think that the statute requires to look at more than just that circumstance. It requires us to look at a number of other things. I agree with you with what you just said, but I don't think that's the position that the department and the county have been maintaining in this case. And, and I, to, to sort of pile on, sorry about that, <laughs> but if, if you look at conclusion 10, conclusion of law that the commissioner specifically changed, it was, you know, all about that definition from the other statute. And it said, from the moment he left the home, GB was not within respondent's sight or hearing until the time he was returned to her care by a deputy sheriff. In those conclusions of law, there's no analysis of the factors that the statute, you know, you're saying those factors are in the in the record and we can do it now, but, but the commissioner was supposed to do that. The commissioner had a burden of proof of going through those factors and showing the omission or commission, that is right in the statute. What did she do wrong at each time? And the other thing that I thought was kind of interesting, and um, the the ALJ had said um, when in the findings of fact that respondent was able to see and hear the children from the kitchen window and open door, and then the commissioner changed that to respondent believes she was able, but. Is that appropriate when it's a finding of fact by the person who was actually doing the hearing? Because, you know, that changes it a bit because it's not just the 13-year-old, it's this woman believing that she, this woman and the ALJ saying she was able to see and hear the children because she had that open window and she had that open sliding door. Well, and I don't know what standard of review DHS has when reviewing an ALJ's order. Um, but I would say that they have the right to make those determinations because they are the final word on it. The ALJ is just making a recommendation. And, but even on findings of fact, I mean, cause I, you know, I'm a little rusty, but I thought it was kind of, it had to be a clearly erroneous. I could be wrong on that. When the commissioner changes the ALJ's findings of fact. And unfortunately I don't have anything to cite in that preposition, but it's my understanding the ALJ's uh, findings are just a recommendation, and therefore DHS has the right to to make findings as they see fit. Thank you, Council. Thank you. Your time has expired. Ms. Eklund, you have 10 minutes. Thank you, Your Honors. I want to touch on some of the things that have been asked to um, my opposing counsel. Um, first of all, back to your question about whether uh, time was determined. Um, as a matter of fact, in the commissioner's report, she says, um, even if the time frame that, licen that licensee was actually indoors was closer to 10 minutes, five minutes, or three minutes, da-da-da-da-da. So no, there was no finding in terms of the amount of time uh, Ms. Restorf uh, was in the home. The second thing, and this is what you, uh, Justice Gildea, were referring to about kids going missing in Target. I mean, I can't imagine how many kids must go missing in Target or Mall of America or wherever because they've wandered off and they're under the coat rack or they're, you know, looking at the toys and the parent can't find them immediately. To apply the statute the way the commissioner has applied the statute would theoretically open the floodgates to application of the statute finding some neglect against parents all over the place. It just boggles the mind. I mean, I, I've had a kid or two wander off over time, and to think that I would be found guilty of maltreatment by neglect because of one, you know, 30 seconds of not supervising, that, that can't be what the statute was intended to do. I, I believe a reading of the statute in the context in which it's found. This statute is intended to deal with the parents who 
lock their kids in the basement and go on vacation. How many cases every year do we have? Well, counsel, that much like you couldn't believe the target experience. I, this, these are not the same things. This is not the same. It's sure it's it's designed to do that, but to suggest that that is all that the statute is designed to do, I think, is really uh, a stretch of the statute. It's designed. It certainly it will cover that instance, but it is much broader than that, as Justice McKaig I think indicated earlier. So. I just don't think it's appropriate to, to, to lump all of that together. I mean, you're not suggesting that that's the only thing the statute is designed to cover, are no, you? that's not what I was suggesting. So what are you suggesting? The other example that I was going to use was hot car cases. There's no plan for supervision. There's no plan for necessary supervision of those children when that kid gets left in the car and the person goes inside to go shopping. It was not, there is nothing in the statute that says, oh, and by the way, daycare providers have a higher standard of care than parents. So if we're going to say, parent, instead of your kid being found in Target underneath the clothes rack, the kid instead walked outside and is in the parking lot and is in danger of getting run over by a car, that's maltreatment by neglect, but being found under the clothes rack isn't. You know, counsel said that there were lots of factors that went into the determination of maltreatment in this case. But they're not. There weren't. Document after document after document was generated saying, you were found guilty of maltreatment by neglect because the child was found away from the home on a busy street with semis honking at him. They never said you failed to supervise. They never said you shouldn't have left the 13-year-old out there even though that was approved by the county. They never, they never went into the factors. Getting back to the burden of proof, that statute that lists appropriate, given the child's ages, mental capacity, length of time, whether one child's gonna be watching another child, that statute was never analyzed by this commissioner in this decision. It just wasn't. Um, so it, does that mean that we can send it back for her to analyze it under the statute, or do we just find that they didn't do it the first time and so they're out of luck? I think there are enough facts in the record that have, and that have been found by the commissioner for you to rule as a matter of law that it's not a strict liability statute and that the department failed to prove by preponderance of the evidence that Ms. Restorf was guilty of maltreatment by neglect. Counsel, can you cite any authority for that proposition? I mean, the case law that that I found, or that my law clerk, who's a much better researcher than I am, found, shows that we would remand in that circumstance, that we, we wouldn't find as a matter of law one way or the other. And I'm just wondering if you have any authority on the remedy to, to cite to the court. Your Honor, that's one of the problems and one of the reasons I'm so glad y'all took this case so that we can get some guidance. That issue in, under this statute in these type circumstances has not been addressed. Counsel, um, I'm sort of puzzled. I think the commissioner here applied the wrong law and analyzed it totally that way. As you said, didn't analyze the factors under this statute. It's her burden of proof. She applied the wrong law. Why don't we just say this is done? You didn't prove the case. That and, is um, exactly what I think should should occur here, especially. No, but given you were asking us to, you know, be essentially, you know, the commissioner and look at all the facts in the record, and we don't even have the key fact, and that's her burden to put in the key fact. So I don't understand why aren't you just asking us to say this case is over? The commissioner. You know, she maybe could have met her burden in this case, but she didn't look at these factors. This, this case just will tell the commissioner you have to apply these factors in the very next time you have this circumstance. Right, and the only reason I said remand earlier is to change the decision of finding um, there, be, there not being any maltreatment by neglect. I, I didn't mean to get a redo or a do-over. You're not suggesting that the, the concept of double jeopardy applies in these cases? No, ma'am. I'm not. No, ma'am. That's not anything we've... Because they could, they could make an amendment if they wanted and 
go through the whole thing again. There's nothing preventing them from doing that. I'm not suggesting it's good practice, but there isn't anything that pre is preventing the commissioner from doing that. That is correct. And what a shame that would be. I, I come back to the, the, the two-year conditional license, which she is still operating under, took care of everything. If anything needed to be done, it took care of everything that needed to be done to ensure the supervision of kids going forward. This maltreatment of ne by neglect doesn't accomplish anything. I could talk more, but I won't. If you have any other questions, I'm glad to answer them. Thank you, Council. Thank Thanks you, to both Council for the help that you provided to the court in this matter. Uh, this case is submitted. We'll issue an opinion in due course. We're in recess.